Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is sponsored uh, in loving memory of Linda Fallick, Aleah Shalom, Lilun Ishmat Yafa Bat Mazal, sponsored by her son Jack Cookie Fallick. Breakfast is also sponsored in dedicated loving memory and Lilun Ishmat Rabbi Yishak Ben Yehuda Pedoim, Aleah Shalom, sponsored by his family. And breakfast is dedicated and sponsored in loving memory of Faraj Shamash, Lava Shalom and Miyam, Bat Yosef, Aleah Shalom, Lilun Ishmatam. Abraham Ben Zazi uh, Yosef, uh, Shalom, and Miriam Bat Zazi Yosef, Shalom. Sponsored by Amir Shamash. Please stay at the end of breakfast, and we will do uh, we will do the hashkava for uh, for the people that donated it today. Rabbi the parasha tells us uh, a very interesting line, and I always love to help draw attention to something specifically. The pasuk says uh, uh, in its in its exacting language a secret that we need to be able to notice in order to be able to use. And that is, And these blessings will come to you uh, and overtake you. When you will listen, In the voice of Hashem your God. In the sound. Bekol is a sound, it's a voice. In the voice of Hashem your God. Now it's interesting, because the language could have said, when you listen to God, what's the difference when you listen to God or if you listen to God's voice? It sounds very similar. And of course, lots of things like this that we learn together, we understand from the nuance an entirely different perspective. And I want to share what this idea means to listen to the voice or to the sound as opposed to listening to the person or listening to God. Rabbi <clears throat> We know that uh, we have an obligation uh, as Jews all the time to think about how we can get to a stage where we are comparable to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Where we are similar to Him in all of His attributes and in the way He's described. That mitzvah is called, we will find it in this week's parasha as well, Ki tishmor et mitzvah when you will keep God's mitzvot, v'halachta bidrachav and you will go in his ways. The Gemara asks, what does it mean to go in God's ways? What do those words mean? What are the ways of God? And the answer that the Gemara brings in two different places, in two different styles, is Just as he is merciful, so too must you be merciful. Just as he is kind, so too must you be kind. Anything that we say about God, we describe him by, those attributes, those divine qualities are things that we should try and emulate ourselves. But that is in the approach. There's another idea which is also brought by the Gemara, which describes not the uh, attitudes that we should keep, whether we are kind or compassionate, etc., etc., but rather, just as he visits the sick, just you too should visit the sick. Just as he dresses the naked, so should you ensure that people have clothing to wear. Where do we find that God has, uh, dresses the naked? Adam and Hava. He makes clothes for Adam and Eve. Where do we find that God visits the sick? He was Mivakir Hole. He visits Abraham when he's sick. Where do we find that Akadosh Baruch buries the dead? By Moshe Rabbeinu. God buries Moshe at, the, at, the, at the, the mountain that he's buried on. So in each one of these cases, we find a deed that was done by God that we can emulate. Not just an outlook or an uh, attitude, but rather an action. 
Now, this idea of emulating God, Rabotai, it's very, very difficult to understand what God wants me to do or how I can follow in His ways unless I can hear the voice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So I want to share with you an idea of what that looks like. There was a, a, a fantastic, a tremendous rabbi who, whose name was Rav Chaim, uh, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. Rav Chaim Shmulevitz was the great Rosh Yeshiva of, uh, of the Mir Yeshiva. He was someone that the, all the students looked up to tremendously. He was someone who studied until very, very late at night. He was someone, <clears throat> my rabbi told me he studied in the Mir when he was young. He remembers going into the Beit Midrash after, uh, you know, very late at night one night. I think it was after a wedding or something. He came back, he went to the Beit Midrash. It's three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. He sees Rav Chaim Shmulevitz in the Mir Yeshiva at three or four in the morning, studying alone in the Beit Midrash in his pajamas. <laughs> he lived in the Yeshiva building itself. Their apartment was there in the building. And he would sit and learn at all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Tremendous Talmud Chacham. But aside from being sharp as a whip, knowing you know, all of Shas by heart, knowing all the Mifarshim, knowing all the Poskim, inside of being a Torah giant, he was, while being a giant person, he was also someone who could make himself very small and very relatable when people needed. He used to talk to the boys all the time about having a smile for the new, the freshies that would come to the yeshiva to welcome them in to make them feel at home. He was someone who when he rode the bus, he would ride the bus even though he was a big Torah personality. It wasn't beneath him to take public transport. And he would be the one that would be standing and holding onto the bar above head and he would never let anyone get up and give him their seat. Okay, one day he's uh, dro- he's traveling to towards the yeshiva, and a young man sees uh, uh, you know this guy with a long beard walking towards the yeshiva. He says, "Do you have any idea where the rabbi who gives the tests to get into the yeshiva is? You know where can I find him?" The rabbi says, "Of course." Sure, let me show you. And he walks him down the road. He goes up. There's a set of stairs. He says, here, let me grab your bag. The Rosh Yeshiva takes this kid's bag. He walks up the stairs. The kid is very nervous. He's trying to get his entrance exam. He puts down the suitcase. He says, this is the door. Good luck. Anyway, the boy says, I don't know what to do. He says, if I walk into the test with my suitcase, it looks like I look like a gay. I look like an arrogant guy. Like I was sure I would get accepted. How's that going to look if I walk in with my suitcase into the test? The Rav Shaim says, you're right, I hear that. He says, but I can't leave it outside. I'm scared they'll take my stuff. I won't have anything. You know, he says, would you mind watching it while I study, while I take the exam? The rabbi says, of course, no worries. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it for you. The kid goes in. He takes the exam from the rabbi. 20 minutes later, he comes out with a big smile on his face. The rabbi, the Rosh Yeshiva, the whole Mirisha, it's the biggest Yeshiva in the world. And he says, he tells him, he says, you know, he, I, I thank you. How'd you do? Oh, I did very well. And the Rechaim Shulevit says, I'm so excited, so nice that you're now, uh, now going to be a Yeshiva Bachur. So the, the kid says, you know, uh, thank you so much for, for helping me, but just... You know, one more thing. I'm not actually sure I arrived here. I didn't really have a plan. I'm not really sure. Where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to stay? You know, I don't really have any place to stay. I haven't worked out. The rabbi says, you know, I think I might know of a place. There's one of the boys in the yeshiva. He just got married. So I think probably on the third floor, I think in the yeshiva building, I think probably he has, there's an extra bed there. The kid says, oh, thank you so much. You know, would you mind taking me there? 
The rabbi says, sure, of course. And he goes to the yeshiva, grabs his bag, climbs up three flights of stairs. He's an elderly man. Climbs up three flights of stairs, shows him the bed. He says, let me show you where your lockers are. He shows him where all the shelves are, where all the items are. And he says, come, let me show you also how to get around the building. He shows him where the bed midrash is, where the, where the dining room is. After he finishes showing, the guy says, thank you so much. He says, you know, um, you're such a big help. He says, what do you do here? And the rabbi says to this kid, he says, I'm the shamosh. Shamosh is like a gabai, he's like the person who takes care of the building, right? He takes care of everything that goes on. He says, you know, I never met such a dedicated shamosh in my life. It's, you know, you were so nice. He says, I'm going to go down to the office and I'm going to give them, a, I'm going to give you a good recommendation. Yeah, and he at the front desk. I'm going to tell them that they have an excellent concierge in this yeshiva, a fantastic shamosh. Meanwhile, the rabbi says, okay, thank you so much. And he leaves him. 20 minutes later, the boy goes down to the Bet Midrash. Who does he see standing in the front of the Midrash? The Shamosh. He wants to go over to give thank you, but he can't get close because there's a ring of boys, of Bahurim surrounding him. So the kid thinks to himself, you know, it must be. Everybody needs something from the Shamosh. He looks like a busy guy. But then he hears the Shamosh is telling all these kids, you know, it's a great question. Did you look at the Rambam over here? He says this. The Pnei Yoshua says that over there. Maybe look at the Gemara on this page over here. And he's going, it like sprouting Torah, like unbelievable. Like a Ma'ayana Mitgaber, right? He taps one of the boys on the shoulder. He says, you know, in my life, I never met such a wise and erudite Shamosh. What an unbelievable Talmid uh, Chacham, this Gabai, this country is, this worker is. How could it be? You know, the guy says, what worker? Shamosh. This is the Rosh Yeshiva. He nearly faints. This is Reb Chaim Shmulevitz. And he's thinking, he made the guy wait 20 minutes, guarding his bag, and then he's dragging the kids with his bag up the stairs. He's showing him the lockers. It, you know, he feels terrible. But Reb Chaim, he didn't feel it was an, an affront. He didn't feel like it was a problem. Why? Because when you love people, you want to help them. You see someone who's lost, you don't think about your title. You think about what needs to be done in this moment. And Rabotai, I remember seeing the most beautiful prayer. There was a prayer from one of the Rebbe's. He prayed to God before the, 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 the high holidays. He had to go to surgery in the hospital. And the, the, there was this famous surgeon, a professor, who did the surgery. Afterwards, he sees the surgeon. And he could see there's blood on his gloves still from the surgery. There's on his nice white lab coat, there's blood stains here and there. You can see the guy's all dirty from the, he says, he says to the surgeon, he says, is this for me? The surgeon says, yes, uh, you know, it's from the surgery. You're cutting things open. Sometimes things spl splatter, you know, you, things different happen, you know. And, and he goes, but Baruch Hashem, the surgery was a success. He says, this is my job. The guy, the rabbi, runs to the shul and in front of all of his chassidim, he raises his hands to the heavens and he says, Borei Olam, I pray that you should be like the professor. It's like, he's asking God to be like the professor. He says, the professor, when he needed to heal me, he stuck his hands inside my body. Even though he was a very wise guy, he was a very important person, he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty with my dirt, with my filth with my uh, stains, in order to be able to heal me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's so much that we need in our lowly state, that we need you to interact with us. Please, don't be afraid of getting dirty 
when you come into our camp, into our machaneh, you know, please come. The Pasuk last week we read, every Jewish soldier on his gun, what does he have? He has a shovel. Why? If he needs to go to the bathroom, you shouldn't go to the bathroom in the camp. Why? Since God goes out with the Jewish soldiers in their attempt to be able to protect Am Yisrael. So this camp, if you want God to be with you, so the Rebbe turned to God and he said, please, even if we're filthy, even if we made mistakes, come down to us. And indeed, that is what God does. Like the Pasuk says, God who dwells with you, even in your Tumah. The Rabbi is also learning from him. There's nobody that is too low for you to help. There's nothing that is below your pay grade. If God could interact with human beings, Surely you could interact with a student. Surely you could interact with a young person. Surely you could act with, interact with a homeless guy. Surely you could interact with someone who's unemployed. Surely you could interact with someone who's not mentally all there. Nothing should be beneath your kavod. That is what we learn from the understanding of hearing God's voice. What does God say to us? He says, no matter where you are, I'm with you. If we can hear that voice, then we can emulate in his ways, we could follow in his ways, and we could be like him. Rabotai, last week we read about the opposite tofa'ah, the opposite occurrence. We read about the ben sorero more who has parents. And what does this wayward son say? What does this rasha son say? What does this son say that has no future, that is only going to grow up to become the worst type of human being? Enenu shomea pekolenu. You want biracha? What do you need to do? A son who is wayward is a son that does not listen to the voice of his father. But there's a difference between the voice of the father and what the father says. And what does that mean? Sometimes, if someone does something wrong, the father says, you know, you ever get that from your dad? And then you shouldn't do it like that. It's not the right thing to do. What happens if you run in the street? Does he say, Mabisir? He says, what are you doing? You know, what happens if a kid would walk into the shul and he would spit on the Sefer Torah? What would his father say? What are you doing? No, he wouldn't say, Mabisir. It's not right. You could tell a lot from the call of Hashem Elokecha, from the voice of your parent. Not just what they're saying you to do, not just the mitzvot that they're commanding you, but how that voice is expressed. There's a big difference when you scream and when you say, even when there's a right thing to do. Rabotai, Rabotai, today, Michila, today in the synagogue, we used our voice the wrong way. Someone who's not a regular in our shul, he's a visitor, he took the Sefer Torah, he went down into the thing, and then when he was finished, he started going, no, no, don't go that way! <laughs> and then he goes the other way, he turns away, don't go to the right! 20 guys yelling at him on the top of his voice like he spit on the Torah, like he ripped the Torah in half. He turned the wrong way. I promise you, I promise you, that is not the voice of God. Because which way you walk with the Torah is a minhag. To humiliate someone publicly with a voice like that, that is asur de oraita. 
You're supposed to risk your life rather than speak to someone that way. And Rabotai, I have to tell you, I was holding it in the whole tefillah because I just didn't want to speak in a moment of anger and yell and maybe I would be guilty of the same thing. So I wanted to wait a few minutes and I figured I'll wait until breakfast. And I want to share with you one last idea that illustrates how far we go where sometimes the right thing is not the right thing to do in that time. It's not the right thing to do to stand up for that right now. There was once a man, a simple man, that they brought to the Bet HaKvarot in Warsaw. They ran to the Bet HaKvarot in the middle of the night and they buried him in the dark. They came to the Maharshal and they said this poor guy, he didn't have a big funeral, nobody wanted to come, nobody wanted to get involved because he was a nobody. So the Hebra Kadisha, late at night, they did the whole procession by themselves. They dug the grave, they buried him. In the morning we realized we made a terrible mistake. We buried his body the wrong way. What does that mean, buried his body the wrong way? Normally, normally we put the person's feet, which way? Towards the exit of the Betakvarot. So that in the time of Mashiach, by Tichiyat HaMetim, the person could wake up and walk out. It illustrates a belief that this is not final. That's how we bury somebody. But it was late at night, and he was a poor guy, and nobody was there, and nobody paid for it. There was no torches held by the crowd. And we realized this morning that we buried him the wrong way. <coughs> Should we dig him up and turn him around and rebury him? The Maharshal said, it's not kavod hamet. It's not dignity for the dead person. But they said, what do you mean? To, interrupt, to in disinter the body is disrespect, but it's also disrespect that he's buried differently to everybody else in the cemetery. And the Maharshal said, you're absolutely right. And that's why from now on, every single body that is buried in this Beit HaKvarot is going to be buried the wrong way. Same direction, let's see, purposely. So that he will not be buried the wrong way alone. Do you understand the kavod of a regular person? We call these people nobodies, but they're not nobodies. There's a neshama inside of them. And I always love pointing this out. You know what the word nobody really means? Nobody. He's a neshama. He's a soul. How do you treat him? How would you like it if everybody yelled at you because you took a wrong right turn? You don't know how they take the Sefer Torah. By the way, I'm not even sure if the way that we do it now is the right way. <laughs> There's not a single other shul that I've ever seen in the entire world that they go and come the same exact way. Normally they go down one way and they come back the other way. Right. The first time I came here, I thought that there was a, you know, a, a traffic detour. Uh, you, know, there was a, you know, there was unfortunately traffic on Fifth Avenue. The guy had to come back the other way. But has shalom, has shalom. Rav Chaim Shmuel Evitz, you know what he could have told the guy? He could have said to him, you know, Mechila, Kavod HaTorah. He could have said, Kavod HaTorah, I'm the Rosh Yeshiva. Not picking up your bag. Get someone else to pick up your bag. You lift up your bag. He could have told him, little person asking an old, even if I wasn't the Rosh Yeshiva, even if I was just an old man, you're just asking an old man to lift. He could have given him Musa, but what did he see? He saw that it was a guy's first day. This guy came to our shul on the first day. It's not right. We always have to try and improve ourselves. And you know, 
I could be a rabbi that always pats everybody on the back and tells everybody how wonderful they, they would be. And you could be the most beloved rabbi if you tell everybody what they want to hear always. But then, Rabotai, you're not a rabbi, you're a yes man. You're not a rabbi, you're uh, kissing everybody's behind. You're not a rabbi, in fact, you're trying to win a popularity contest. Please, in this synagogue, in every synagogue, in life, recognize that nobodies are no bodies. That there's a neshama, a lokit in there, a piece of God that we need to recognize, that we need to respect. And be'ezrat Hashem, that will be hearing the voice of God, the way God speaks to us when we do something wrong. How big is the thing? How much do we need to get involved? Should we say something after? Maybe even after we shouldn't say something. Be'ezrat Hashem, we will always know how to, do, how to discern. And one of the greatest tricks in the world is to ask yourself, if that was me in a synagogue in another community, how would I have wanted them to deal with it? God bless this community. We are full of such sadiqim. And the best thing about it is I know that these things are taken in the right way. And uh, they, you know that they are given with love uh, and with respect from me. And I, I pray that for many, many more years we will be capable of growing as a community from strength to strength. I love you. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Amen. Rebbe Hananiah.